Homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. Welcome back young friends and everyone joining for this gradual teaching series. We are continuing to look at the Buddha's gradual instructions on danger and sensual pleasures. And if you've been following along with this gradual teaching series, then you know that with each of the modules, we learn a meditation. So for the talk on giving, Dhanakata, we learnt the Merit Book Meditation. And for the talk on virtue, Silakata, we've been learning the recollection of one's own virtue. For the talk on heavenly realms, Sakakata, we looked at the recollection of the pure abodes, which also incorporated recollection of the Sangha. So for this particular module, we're going to be looking at how to meditate sequentially on some of the Buddha's similes for sensual pleasures in a gradual manner. And the sutta that we're focusing on for this is the Potaliya Sutta. The sutta that we'll be looking at today is the Potaliya Sutta, and this is in Majjhima Discourse Number 54. And this is a teaching that the Buddha gives to a householder named Potaliya. And we're going to briefly go through it and then focus primarily on the similes and the sequence of the similes for sensual pleasures. Now, this particular teaching is very important and very powerful. We're not going to go through the full meditation and the full teaching because it's probably not fitting at this stage for the youth audience. But safe to say, this particular teaching, it focuses on how we stop the momentum that keeps us coming back to birth after birth after birth, propelled by craving and our bondage to things such as sensual pleasures and unwholesome things. So it's a very powerful teaching from the Buddha. And we're going to focus just on a very small part of that. If you think about the analogy of a vehicle moving towards samsara, so coming back into the world, and the vehicle is programmed with its GPS and programmed to head in that direction. What the Potaliya Sutta does, if you know the full meditation and the teaching, what it does is it disables that momentum, disables the GPS and the instructions and basically stops the vehicle. So that's how powerful this full meditation is. But as I said, we're only going to focus on a very small portion of it, just so we get an understanding of why the Buddha uses these similes to show the danger in sensual pleasures. So the sutta opens with the Buddha coming back from arms round, and he finds a lovely little place to sit so that he can meditate in a grove. And as he's sitting there, Portalia comes across him. So he's a householder and he sees the Buddha and the Buddha invites him very politely to come and sit with him. And he addresses him as a householder and Portalia doesn't like it. He doesn't think of himself as a householder any longer. So let's just read out this short exchange between the Buddha and Portalia. So Portalia says, Master Gautama, it is neither fitting nor proper that you address me as a householder. And the Buddha says, Householder, you have the aspects, marks and signs of a householder. Nevertheless, Master Gautama, I have given up all my works and cut off all my affairs. And then the Buddha says in response, In what way, Householder, have you given up all your works and cut off all your affairs? And the, the Portalia says, 
Master Gautama, I have given all my wealth, grain, silver and gold to my children as their inheritance. I do not advise or blame them about such matters, but merely live on food and clothing. That is how I have given up all my works and cut off all my affairs. And then the Buddha responds by saying, Householder, the cutting off of affairs as you describe it is one thing, but in the Noble One's discipline, the cutting off of affairs is different. And so after this, the Putaliya asked the Buddha to teach him. And so the Buddha does. Now, with this particular exchange between Buddha and Putaliya, what you find is Putaliya thinks that he has retired that he is retired from worldly life, that he's given up all his worldly assets. And so now he's just living on food and clothing. And so he's now not no longer a householder in his own definition, but he's someone more erring on the side of a samana. And the Buddha says, you, you're not actually, it's not the same thing, this cutting off affairs, this retirement, so to speak. And so... That's what this entire exchange is really about. The teaching that the Buddha gives to Potaliya is really around the Noble One's dispensation when it comes to cutting off of affairs. So real retirement from the world, what that really means. And the way that the Buddha teaches is in the form of Charita Varita, which is what should be done and what should be avoided or abandoned. So the eight things that the Buddha covers are one, with the support of non-killing of living beings, the killing of living beings is to be abandoned. Secondly, with the support of taking only what is given, the taking of what is not given is to be abandoned. Three, with the support of truthful speech, false speech is to be abandoned. Four, with the support of non-divisive speech, divisive speech is to be abandoned. And five, with the support of non-rapacious greed, rapacious greed is to be abandoned. Six, with the support of non-insulting with anger, insulting with anger is to be abandoned. Seven, with the support of non-association with anger, association with anger is to be abandoned. And then eighthly, with the support of non-arrogance, arrogance is to be abandoned. So this is a bit of background to Buddha's teaching to Potaliya. We're not going to go much more deeply than this for this session. It's just good to know that there, is a, there are certain things that the Buddha tells us to uh, cultivate, develop as we know, in order to abandon or avoid the unwholesome things. So wholesome is cultivated to abandon unwholesome. And so this is very clear in the Potaliya Sutta. And if you really look deeply into this, you see how you stop the momentum because the momentum that carries us from lifetime to lifetime out of ignorance is the unwholesome things and the wrong view about those things. And so if you keep going doing those unwholesome things and indulgences and you stay bonded to them, then it keeps propelling you towards rebirth after rebirth and most likely rebirth in lower realms. And so how the Buddha teaches Potaliya is actually around cultivating unwholesome in order to overcome and avoid, abandon unwholesome and to stop the momentum of what propels you towards birth after birth. So in essence, despite giving up all your worldly belongings, you're still living 
a life that is bonded. And so that's what the Buddha is trying to show Potalia in a simple sense. After the Buddha goes through the eight things that lead to the cutting off of all affairs, Portalia then asks the Buddha to show him how he can cut off all his affairs entirely and in all ways. And so the Buddha goes into a detailed teaching on these seven similes for sensual pleasures. And in sequence, they are the meatless bone or skeleton, the piece of meat, the burning grass torch, charcoal pit, dream, borrowed goods and fruits on a tree. So we've looked at some of them briefly before. They're not entirely new. And what we want to focus on in this session is the detailed instructions the Buddha gives so that we learn how to meditate on them. Now, in a separate session, what we'll do is we'll have a guided meditation so we can practice the meditation together. But in this session, we'll focus simply on the similes and we may draw some link between the eight different things that the Buddha talked about and these similes. But we'll lightly touch on it because we'll keep this as simple as possible. So the first simile that the Buddha goes through is the meatless bone or skeleton. And he says to Portalia, Householder, suppose a dog, overcome by hunger and weakness, was waiting by a butcher's shop. Then a skilled butcher or his apprentice would toss the dog a well-hacked, clean-hacked skeleton of meatless bones, smeared with blood. What do you think, householder? Would that dog get rid of his hunger and weakness by gnawing such a well-hacked, clean-hacked, skeleton of meatless bones smeared with blood. No, venerable sir. Why is that? Because that was a skeleton of well-hacked, clean-hacked, meatless bones smeared with blood. Eventually that dog would reap weariness and disappointment. So too, householder, a noble disciple considers thus. Sensual pleasures have been compared to a skeleton by the Blessed One. They provide much suffering and much despair while the danger in them is great. And then the Buddha goes on to say, having seen this thus as it actually is with proper wisdom, he avoids the equanimity that is diversified based on diversity and develops the equanimity that is unified based on unity where clinging to the material things of the world utterly ceases without remainder. As we start to examine each of these similes, what the Buddha is really reinforcing for us in each case is that these sense pleasures, this karma, it provides much suffering. He calls it bahudukkha and also much despair, bahu upayasa. And then what he says is that the danger is great in each of them, adinava etta biyoti. So when we are able to connect with this Dhamma, to contemplate these similes and get to understand them a little better, then that's when the proper wisdom arises. So that's the first thing. The other thing that he also says in all of them is at the end of each of the simile, he talks about equanimity that is diversified. So based on some kind of diversity. So what happens is when we look at sensual pleasures, we normally look for the pleasure in them. And so we have preferences and things that we rate when we take things in through eye, ears, nose, tongue, body, and of course, then the mind. And what he's telling us is to avoid that kind of equanimity that takes that in and it's very diverse and we form these preferences. Rather, he talks about equanimity that is unified, which usually means that we enter some kind of 
mental absorption. So when he talks about that, particularly in relation to meditation, he's saying don't have these preferences where there are unique features that we take in about different sensual pleasures. Instead, have more of a oneness when it comes to looking at all kinds of sensual pleasures because that's where you don't get caught. You just see them as sensual pleasures that are dangerous. They provide much suffering and much despair. Now at the initial part of this, we don't see that. Of course we don't because we're still conditioned by pleasure seeking and not being able to see the danger. But as we start to connect with Buddha Dhamma and we start to see the benefit of the way the Buddha is teaching us and start to really understand some of these suttas and understand some of these similes, most definitely, then this becomes almost like our superpower. We start to see, actually, it's true what the Buddha says. There is much suffering, there is much despair, and the danger is actually quite great. So that's where we're heading towards as we go through this. Now, when it comes to the meatless bone, this particular simile is a very interesting one because I think we can all relate. So in the case of the hungry dog, the hungry dog is waiting outside a butcher looking for food. It's hungry. And what he gets thrown are the scraps. And not just scraps. They're like these meatless bones which are smeared with a little bit of blood. And so the dog would probably attack it straight away thinking, wow, this is going to really help and satisfy my hunger. But what happens is when you're throwing these meatless bones, the dog would lick the bone, try and chew it, bite it, and it would find that it wouldn't get satisfied because there's little gratification from something that don't, doesn't have any meat. There's not much there. And it would wear itself out chewing and gnawing on the bone and licking it and biting only to come up short that this thing is not going to satisfy it. And so it gets really tired from doing that. Not just tired, it reaches a point of despair, thinking there's nothing here, there's nothing here for me, and yet I'm working so hard. So when it comes to relating that back to ourselves, and we put ourselves in the position of the hungry dog, when it comes to how hard we actually have to work in order to be able to afford things, and when we get them, they're so fleeting. There's not much there. The pleasure that we get, the joy that we get is fleeting. And when it comes to even the debts, as we've spoken about before, the debts that we uh, take on in order to be able to afford these things, and we work very hard to pay off the debt, again, we end up quite tired. We end up in despair thinking, what is this predicament that I'm in? Now, the other aspect to it is around killing. When you think about a butcher, the butcher may not be directly killing because it may come from an abattoir where the killing is done. But the reason that the Buddha uses the example of a butcher is because most of what we take from the world, it involves some kind of killing. Now, we don't directly do the killing, but when you think about everything that we build in the world, everything that we farm in the world, all these different sorts of things. Even in order to sustain our lives, somebody has to work very hard. And inevitably, somebody has to die. Whether it's an animal, 
an insect, all types of living creatures. And so there's a little bit of a connection, or maybe not even just a little bit, there's a huge connection to how much our existence is built on killing. And so that's a separate link that is useful to look at, but not the main one that we focus on when we're meditating in this very simple way for right now. The second simile that the Buddha tells Bhutalia is this piece of meat. And the Buddha says, Householder, suppose a vulture, a heron, or a hawk seized a piece of meat and flew away, and then vultures, herons, and hawks pursued it and pecked and clawed it. What do you think, householder? If that vulture, heron, or hawk does not quickly let go of that piece of meat, wouldn't it incur death or deadly suffering because of it? Yes, venerable sir. So too, householder, a noble disciple considers thus. Sensual pleasures have been compared to a piece of meat by the Blessed One. They provide much suffering, much despair, while the danger in them is great. Having seen this thus, as it actually is with proper wisdom, he avoids equanimity that is diversified, based on diversity, and develops the equanimity that is unified based on unity where clinging to the material things of the world utterly ceases without remainder. With this second simile taught by the Buddha, what we see here is that one bird gets the piece of meat and then it gets attacked and injured, potentially injured as a result of being attacked because of this piece of meat. And sensual pleasures have this way about it, that we are all going for the same thing. This piece of meat is something that we all want, whether it is food that's on the table at home and you're fighting over it with your siblings, or whether it's at work and you're fighting for the promotion or the pay rise, or out in the world where countries fight with one another, they go to wars over sensual pleasures. And so great suffering can result because of these things and much despair when you find that you are fighting so much. And of course, there is great danger as a result of that. So this is how the Buddha asks us to contemplate, to see how what happens is when someone has that piece of meat, you try and take it away and they haven't given you permission to take it away. When you get attacked in that way, you're not giving permission for them to take what is yours, what you consider yours. And likewise, when you go for something in that way, out in the world, it's the same thing. Wars are fought like that. People die as a result of fighting, or get injured, or harmed, or experience the suffering equivalent of that. The third simile relates to the blazing grass torch. So the Buddha says, Householder, suppose a man took a blazing grass torch and went against the wind. What do you think, householder? If that man does not quickly let go of that blazing grass torch, wouldn't that blazing grass torch burn his hand or his arm or some other part of his body so that he might incur death or deadly suffering because of that? Yes, venerable sir. So too, householder, a noble disciple considers thus, sensual pleasures have been compared to a grass torch by the Blessed One. They provide much suffering and much despair while the danger in them is great. Having seen this thus as it actually is with proper wisdom, he avoids the equanimity that is diversified, based on diversity, 
and develops the equanimity that is unified based on unity where clinging to the material things of the world utterly ceases without remainder. With this simile of the blazing grass torch, it's something that is more difficult for us to see because we don't see how we burn. We burn through the ear, eyes, nose, tongue, body and mind. And we burn when we take these falsely as me and mine. That we claim ownership over our sensual pleasures and so we are always leaving a burning trail. And with the burning grass torch, the Buddha is saying to us, really look at that. You can burn off your hand, your arm, or any other part of your body. That is, you can even incur death or experience suffering that is the equivalent of death. Sensual pleasures always bring that. So when you think about the grass torch, anything that you are bonded to, whether it's people, people who you take as your loved ones, and when something happens to them, you experience this burning. Because what happens is we don't see how much we cling to certain things. Or even when, with our jobs. Do we like it when we lose our job? Usually we don't expect to lose our job, but it's the same thing. We take it as me and mine, and yet these things happen because they naturally happen. Or when we have a pet, and a pet gets sick. So sensual pleasures are things that are often going to burn us, but we don't see it. There is a natural predicament that we are bound to. And so in this way, when you contemplate the blazing grass torch, it's always good to remember it leaves a hot trail. It burns, burns through the ear, eyes, nose, tongue, body and mind. The fourth simile that the Buddha talks to Portalia about is about the charcoal pit. And so here he says to Portalia, Householder, suppose there were a charcoal pit, deeper than a man's height, full of glowing coals without flame or smoke. Then a man came who wanted to live and not to die, who wanted pleasure and recalled from pain. And two strong men seized him by both arms and dragged him towards that charcoal pit. What do you think, householder? Would that man twist his body this way and that? Yes, venerable sir. Why is that? Because that man knows that if he falls into that charcoal pit, he will incur death or deadly suffering because of that. So too, householder, a noble disciple considers thus. Sensual pleasures have been compared to a charcoal pit by the Blessed One. They provide much suffering and much despair, while the danger in them is great. Having seen this thus, as it actually is, with proper wisdom, he avoids the equanimity that is diversified, based on diversity, and develops the equanimity that is unified, based on unity, where clinging to the material things of the world utterly ceases without remainder. With this simile of the charcoal pit and being dragged by two strong men, you can see that you're literally kicking and screaming being dragged to the charcoal pit, you're being dragged towards pain. Now, what we can't see is that when we have very strong bonds, very strong craving towards sensual pleasures, we have the wrong view and our minds are polluted with volitional formations or some kind of thoughts and ideas that sensual pleasures are a good thing, that they'll give us lots of pleasure and happiness. And yet, what we don't see is that this is all the things that are dragging us to something that is going to burn us. 
So the charcoal pit is what is burning. So again, we'll be injured or harmed or die or eventually suffer the equivalent of something equivalent to death. And so that is why the Buddha is saying, you know, look and see how much suffering, how much despair, how much danger there is in sensual pleasures. What we do is we tend to divide in our minds, this one is better than that one, this one is more valuable than that one. This applies to everything in our lives. When we want material things, we usually value one thing over another based on certain signs and features. Or when it comes to jobs or people in our lives, we're always valuing, judging, assessing. And so we're always dividing. Dividing, I can get more pleasure from this and not that. So as we are heading towards the charcoal pit, we expect pleasure from sensual pleasures. But what the Buddha is pointing to is you're being dragged towards something that is painful. And so it's a very deep and profound kind of simile, as they all are. But the more you meditate on it, the more you start to see it. The fifth simile that the Buddha goes through is the dream. And he says to Portalia, Householder, suppose a man dreamt about lovely parks, lovely groves, lovely meadows, and lovely lakes, and on waking he saw nothing of it. So too, Householder, a noble disciple considers thus. Sensual pleasures have been compared to a dream by the Blessed One. They provide much suffering and much despair, while the danger in them is great. Having seen this thus, as it actually is with proper wisdom, he avoids equanimity that is diversified, based on diversity, and develops equanimity that is unified, based on unity, where clinging to the material things of the world utterly ceases without remainder. When it comes to the dream, or the simile of the dream, the Buddha is giving us a very good example to use, or good simile to use, because dreams are often quite perfect, quite idealistic. But in reality, they, the fact is everything falls short. So in our dreams, we always experience the perfect holidays. The expectation is that nothing goes wrong. Or when we dream about material possessions, we never get sick of them. They're always wonderful. Same with people, same with relationships, same with all kinds of experiences that we dream about. But the reality brings us straight down to earth because there are things that are more real. So when you study, you think getting the degree or finishing your education is going to be great. But we don't dream about all the hard work, all the sleepless nights, sitting exams, doing assignments. Same with the job. We think when we get the job, it's going to be great. But we don't think about difficult people that we have to work with, bossy bosses, all kinds of things like that, or how difficult it is to get a promotion or to even hold on to your job. We don't expect to get fired. Or when it comes to people in our lives, we don't expect them to get sick. In our dreams, our partner is perfect. We don't expect them to fight with us. Or when it comes to material assets, the dream of owning a house, of being able to afford nice things, the reality of having to take loans and paying back those loans, it's very, very different. Our minds generate a lot of sick perceptions and stories that it's sick in the fact that they lead us to believe that it's going to be perfect, it's going to be wonderful. 
but with sensual pleasures there is much suffering and much despair that comes with them and the buddha is wanting us to see that and that's where the danger is that we don't see it and so we fall into this predicament where we expect pleasure and we experience pain and so this is what the buddha means when we contemplate the dream The sixth simile that the Buddha talks about is borrowed goods. And here the Buddha says to Potaliya, Householder, suppose a man borrowed goods on loan, a fancy carriage and fine jeweled earrings, and proceeded and surrounded by these borrowed goods, he went to the marketplace. Then people seeing him would say, Sirs, that is a rich man. That is how the rich enjoy their wealth. Then the owners, whenever they saw him, would take back their things. What do you think, householder? Would that be enough for that man to become dejected? Yes, venerable sir. Why is that? Because the owners took back their things. So too, householder, a noble disciple considers thus. Sensual pleasures have been compared to borrowed goods by the Blessed One. They provide much suffering and much despair, while the danger in them is great. Having seen this thus, as it actually is with proper wisdom, he avoids equanimity, that is diversified based on diversity and develops equanimity that is unified based on unity where clinging to the material things of the world utterly ceases without remainder. When we look at this borrowed good simile, it's very similar to our session looking at the Ina Sutta about poverty and debt and sensual pleasures. Quite often we are covering up the fact that we can't afford things by taking out all these loans and credit cards and things like that. What happens is when we can't pay, the reality of the situation is when we can't pay, the bank will repossess our home, our car, or anything that we've borrowed. Or when you read about people in the newspaper, people that you assumed were rich, but they file for bankruptcy, and you find that actually everything was on loan. So central pleasures have this way of driving behavior out of conceit where you keep getting into debt Keep having borrowed goods to show that you're something more than you really are. The reality is very, very different. Same with jewellery, same with things that we adorn ourselves with. We often try and show wealth when really it's more ordinary. So what's really important is not to allow conceit to drive this kind of behaviour. Because when you do that, you experience much suffering trying to take out loans, pay back the money, much de desperation and despair when you're juggling your finances, trying to pretend pretty much more than what it really is. And so there's great danger in it, great danger not just in the debt, but in the unwholesome nature of it. It drives you to really poor behavior. And then the final simile that the Buddha teaches to Potaliya is about fruit on a fruit tree. And the Buddha says, Householder, suppose there were a dense grove not far from some village or town, within which there was a tree laden with fruit, but none of its fruit had fallen to the ground. Then a man needing fruit, seeking fruit, wandering in search of fruit, and he entered the grove and saw the tree laden with fruit. Thereupon he thought, This tree is laden with fruit but none of its fruit has fallen to the ground. I know how to climb a tree, so let me climb this tree, eat as much fruit as I want, and fill my bag. And he did so. 
Then a second man came needing fruit, seeking fruit, wandering in search of fruit, and taking a sharp axe, he too entered the grove and saw the tree laden with fruit. Thereupon he thought, this tree is laden with fruit, but none of its fruit has fallen to the ground. I do not know how to climb a tree, so let me cut this tree down at its root, eat as much fruit as I want and fill my bag. And he did so. What do you think, householder? If that first man who had climbed the tree doesn't come down quickly, when the tree falls, wouldn't he break his hand or his foot or some other part of his body so that he might incur death or deadly suffering because of that? Yes, venerable sir. So too, householder, a noble disciple considers thus. Sensual pleasures have been compared to fruits on a tree by the Blessed One. They provide much suffering and much despair, while the danger in them is great. Having seen this thus, as it actually is with proper wisdom, he avoids the equanimity that is diversified based on diversity and develops the equanimity that is unified based on unity where clinging to the material things of the world utterly ceases without remainder. This final simile is a very powerful one and quite profound, so it's not easy to see in the first instance. Like at a very top level, you can see you can climb the tree and try and get the fruit. And so there's much effort that goes into that. You climb, you try and get the fruit, and you feel happy that you're up there with the fruit. But what comes to trouble you next is someone comes along and because they can't climb the tree, they're willing to cut down the tree and you're still in the tree. And so you get quite angry when you see something like that happen. You've got an ideal kind of situation, so you think, and yet someone comes along and tries to cut the tree. Now, in everyday life, this happens when we are going along our way with life, with our sensual pleasures, and something happens to make it not so. A classic example is most of us were going along quite happily, relatively happily, whether we were studying or working or just simply living our lives. We had expectations to go on holidays, to be able to go to the shops and buy our clothes and food and all the nice things to see our friends, to see our family. And then the pandemic came along. And so what happened to all of us when the pandemic hit? All of us started to live with some kind of anger, some kind of unhappiness, because we could no longer do the normal things. It got taken away from us. So these are the types of situations that come, can come in where something or someone comes along and scuppers what we think is going along really, really well, despite even the difficulty. So with this fruit on a fruit tree, what we find with sensual pleasures is it always is associated with anger because we end up in that angry place when the pleasure we expected turns or where the pleasure that we expected is not as much as we thought we were going to get. And so where does that often lead us? Where our expectations are not met, we end up angry. So there's something about the nature of these sensual pleasures that results in always anger. In the bigger picture, it's very much that when we come into the world, we don't expect to age, yet we age. Aging makes us angry. 
particularly as we get older and older and older, and as our faculties start to wear out, decline, can't hear so well, can't eat so well, can't taste so well, all those things. And when we go through life and we have the ups and downs of life, which is the norm, but we don't expect it. We don't expect to fail at exams. We don't expect to lose our jobs. We don't expect to have our loved ones fall sick. We don't expect to be in the middle of a pandemic or some kind of war. So the fruit on a fruit tree can be a very profound simile to contemplate. There's much more than just what's at the surface of this simile. But you see the idea that behind sensual pleasures, through all these similes, that there is a lot of suffering that is entailed with sense pleasures. And there's a lot of despair and desperation that comes with trying to replicate the experience of pleasure or hold on to the pleasure or to see that it declines, that there's something that always leads to the experience of dukkha. And so you can see that in small ways and you can see it in the bigger picture. And so that's why these similes are very helpful because when you contemplate them, when you turn them over in your mind, go through the Buddha's words, and then when you bring it back to your own example, it's very, very helpful. We've now gone through the Buddha's words on these similes from this Portilia Sutta. And what we can see is that there is much wonderful Dhamma in being able to contemplate this because when we are able to contemplate and turn our minds on these similes, we can start to see what the Buddha means by there is great suffering, there is great despair, and of course there is great danger in sensual pleasures. So the way we meditate on these similes is to start from meatless bone, piece of meat, burning grass torch, charcoal pit, dream, borrowed goods and fruit on a tree. We actually meditate sequentially by going through the Buddha's instructions. So initially the main thing to do is to be able to get familiar with what these similes are, to be able to memorize the sequence of these similes, to be able to really penetrate and understand why there is so much danger in sensual pleasures. So what you'll find is when you start to meditate on it, the cloudy kind of vision that one has. So in the beginning, when we meditate on anything, what we tend to find is that our vision is cloudy. So this is the Dhamma wisdom. It's cloudy because we can't see clearly. But when you start to meditate on each of these similes, the cloud starts to lift, the grayness, the darkness, and you're able to see more clearly with wisdom to be able to truly see the danger. So it's okay at the beginning if you don't fully understand each of the similes. The idea is to start learning. And the other part of it is to then allow certain wisdom to grow. As the Buddha has said in every single simile that you want to see that this diversity we have when it comes to how we view sensual pleasures it's not something that you want to promote, that one thing is better than another thing and have all these complex preferences around sensual pleasures. What you start to do when you meditate on it is you, you start to see sensual pleasures for what they are. They're all literally the same. 
whether you take them in through ear, eyes, nose, tongue or body. And then the mind interprets them as I like this better than another thing or this is more beneficial. But sensual pleasures are sensual pleasures. They're all dangerous. So when we go through life, the objective of this meditation is to be able to see clearly. So when we take things for nourishment, for looking after our families, for getting things done, for survival, of course we need to deal with sensual pleasures. But anything beyond that, the indulgences, the things that tie us in the bad way to sensual pleasures is what we're trying to overcome. So we need to see that the meatless bone, that there's not much there. So why are we working so hard? Why are we toiling in such a way to get duped by these sensual pleasures? It's like the hungry dog. The bone is only smeared with a little bit of blood and there's no meat there. So why are we going towards sensual pleasures in that way? And the piece of meat. The piece of meat is something that we will be attacked for. We are all fighting over a piece of meat. Is that really necessary? Isn't that quite dangerous? The extent that one would go to, to brawl and fight and argue, to be attacked, even to go to war over sensual pleasures. And then the burning grass torch, it is burning us. It's important to see it. It's important to see that what we take as me and mine, there's a lie in that. It's burning us. And same with the charcoal pit. If we are dragged by our preferences, dragged by our sensual bonds towards things, the defilement of it, the divisiveness of it, then we're heading towards more burning. We're being dragged to the charcoal pit, which is not what we want. And then the dream. Are we going to allow all this greed? Are we going to allow all this coveting to believe the dream when the reality is different? The dream is really about waking up to see sensual pleasures for what they really are. That the reality is actually quite different from what we dream about. And so there's danger there. And to wake up to that danger. And then borrowed goods. Is it really so important to pretend and to take out so much debt and to suffer so much having to pay back all that debt, to not be so conceited about sensual pleasures, only what is needed rather than more, more, more. The predicament of borrowed goods is a very dangerous one in this lifetime and beyond. And then when it comes to fruits on a tree, to really see that there is so much anger involved in this thing around sensual pleasures, the fighting around sensual pleasures, when the rug gets pulled out because of certain circumstances, from natural disasters to being scuppered because of our predicament. And so when we see these similes in our meditation and we see the truth about what the Buddha is saying, about dukkha, about the suffering, about the desperation, and how it's all tied to our bondage to sensual pleasures. When we see it clearly and we see the danger, the true danger of this predicament, then what happens is it gets a little easier. The result or the blessing of the meditation is that 
You go through life with more ease because you know it clearly. You may still have to deal with sensual pleasures because we have to work, we have to deal with people, we certainly need certain things in order to survive. But what happens with this meditation is that you get wiser. It's like your vision gets cleared. There's not so much darkness and cloudiness when it comes to seeing sensual pleasures. You see clearly with the ear, eyes, nose, tongue, body, and therefore the mind, and therefore you make wiser choices. The Buddha's teaching is always to develop more wisdom, more conviction towards the Buddha's teaching, and more wisdom. And you correct your view along the way. And so by the time we get to the end of the gradual teaching series, you really see why the right view is so important. It leads this path that the Buddha is teaching us to get out of the whole mass of suffering. And so this is how you meditate on the similes. You turn in your mind each of the similes as a contemplation and you see for yourself what is really true. Is what the Buddha is saying really true? Can I really see this in the meditation? We can end our session here. Let's share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem, wishing you well. Teruan Saranai.